All right, we are back. Solve for Why vlogcast episode number three, Optimal Mental Living. It is myself, Christian Soto, Matt Berkey, the clowns, and the Dominican flag once again. And what you think about uh, last week's episode, man? There was a lot of positive take, the Optimal Mental podcast. That's what we're calling this now? I mean, I don't know where this thing's going to shift. This thing's going in much, many different directions. I am going to have an open invite to anybody that wants to come on here, talk about whatever they want, air out their grievances, air out their beefs with you, and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Jerry Springer, man. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought last week was a uh, really, I guess real podcast yeah if you, if you want to put it that way like if well, we, what the hell was week one i mean you know it was just us getting our feet wet kind of teasing it out but like you know if if, if we want to have a keeping it real segment yeah i think jordan like really hit home no for sure um uh, probably like struck a chord with a lot of the community who could kind of understand what it's like to you know suffer in some capacity from uh just just mental strife be it depression or sadness or just the way this game can beat you down, you know? Do you think that's something that, like, is common in the community? Like, such a lone, like, in a way, this is a very lonely uh, career path. So do you think that there's just a lot of people potentially struggling in silence? <laughs> Man, hit me hard already. Yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely think that poker is... Uh, it has its dark path to it. You know, it's a zero-sum game. We're not really contributing to society. Uh, assuming that you're conscientious of that to some capacity, that, that will weigh on you, especially being that your job is to separate other people from their money. Um, so, you know, like, don't get me wrong. There's a healthy element to this, too. It's a competitive atmosphere. Uh, it breeds the desire to excellence, and uh, it's logical problem solving and all of these things are fantastic and they extrapolate out into other areas of life. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, we're not used to uh, fully having to recognize the variance of living the way that we are whenever we're professional poker players. Right. And as you try to, uh, you know, instill that into your mind of, you know, things happen constantly that are out of our control and, uh, a big portion of those are negative events. That's that's kind of hard to digest. A lot of people say that, like poker, still gives them uh, somewhat of, more, of a more calm outlook on life. Like they don't, they're not triggered as fast and, and things like that. Uh, another another uh, person that I remember that came out like struggling with like depression and stuff was Ben. Wilanowski. Yeah, 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 Ben Wilanowski. And I remember. I may I watched, have mispronounced his last name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember Wilson. very well. Like this was maybe, maybe like six, seven years ago or something. He had like a poker news, or or some sort of outlet video, mm. and he came out and it was like pretty, pretty well received. So it's one of those things where I feel people definitely go through a lot of bouts uh, of things, and then it doesn't come out until later. Yeah. Well, I think when you're when you're in it it's pretty hard to discuss, let alone discuss publicly. Um, and I think that that's like why what Jordan did was so commendable. Of course, he's in a better place now than he was two months ago, but I don't right. think that he's necessarily like come out the other side. 
I think he's in the process of it, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll happen for him soon. But, yeah, I think it's really, really challenging to, to kind of discuss what's going on inside of your head, especially, like, when you feel, like, pretty low and negative about a lot of things in life. And, unfortunately, we're kind of, like, programmed that way. You know, it's like, biologically speaking, the reason why we survived is because we were afraid of what goes bump in the night. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's built into us to fear, to, uh, to, to expect negative outcomes and avoid them at all costs. So when you willfully sign up for a game of failure, be it poker or baseball or you know, a myriad of others that we could choose, it takes a toll on you mentally that takes some serious mental training to overcome. And you kind of mentioned that uh, you know, some people say that it gives them a brighter outlook on life. Well, like, I think that those are the people who have made it out the other side. You know, whether you're talking about abiding by some philosophy like stoicism or, you know, just being a healthy professional poker player, it definitely takes like a, a high level of self-actualization and, uh, you know, really rising through the ranks of the, the Maslow hierarchy of needs to get to the point of finding a closer to enlightened version of yourself. You afraid of the night? No. My mom used to say every cat is black at night. I don't know what that means. Me neither. It was, <laughs> it was like a Spanish saying. It was like, you know, all the cats are black at night. Like, so it's like if you, you can't go outside at night. I think she just didn't want me to go outside at night. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, man, we're, we're creeping up on week number three, or at least like the third weekend of uh, WSOP. And it's been it's been wild, man. I mean, it is what you expect it to be, but I what disappointing? No, no. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, it's a roller coaster of emotions, regardless. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of hours. So like, first week, I think all of us put in like probably like 65, 80 hours, easy. Yeah. You know, because you don't even count it. Like you're just like there, and you're just like, oh shit, I played twelve hours today. The next day, you play twelve hours again. Right. And then it's like. Play 12 hours again. You get maybe you get a day off because you made a day two and there's like there's a break. But like this week, I got like really sick. I was like, I was just out for like three days where it was just like, I want to play so bad. I I almost felt like Kevin Durant, you know, where like you want to play, but you can't because you're you're just down, you know, and your people, you know, your team wants you there, but you can't shoot. Sure. Um, and he got punished for coming back early. And he got punished for coming back early. So it's like one of those things. But yeah, man. So like, let's talk a little bit about just how taxing it could be, you know? And, and it's like we prepare for it. Like mentally, I'm like, okay, like these five weeks, there's no, there's no stopping. But then there's things out of your control. Like if I went to play, I felt as if like I wouldn't have played well, you know? Yeah, so it was like yeah, one of those yeah. things where it's like I don't want to burn money, especially you know, my money and investor money, you know? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that you're still plus EV. Uh, yeah, just, probably. Just to a lesser degree. But I agree, like, it's going to be hard to win a bracelet battling through, uh, yeah, be like it mental flu, fatigue yeah. or, yeah, or flu-like symptoms, whatever. Um, I put in extra prep work this year that was more diligent than years past. I mean, I feel like I refine the process every year. But this year in particular, I had a very precise plan of attack, um, physically, mentally, socially, all these things, right? And I ramped up all of my workload prior to the to the series beginning. I was, you know, grinding all of our content, getting it out of the way. I did like four months of training videos and 
in the, in the months leading up to the series. I was hitting the gym seven days a week, 90 minutes a day, upping my cardio, upping my strength training, just like really hammering hard, right? My, my diet was a little bit heavier in protein and included some carbs. All of this to like push me through, get me to a point of like peak performance by the time yeah. the series came around. And I did all of that knowing full well that the things I was putting a biggest emphasis on in that time frame were going to be the biggest things that I had to sacrifice in order to play well and right. put in volume, right? So week one of the series, hit the gym five days, shifted to a keto diet, definitely felt a big uh, fall off in, in strength yeah. and, and you know conditioning a little bit, but was able to push through and I mentally was just there, man. I was locked in. So week two, uh, I started making deep runs. Uh, you know, we're playing like noon to one day one and then one to one every day thereafter. They're long, grueling days. Right. And there's just like really no time to get to the gym. Yeah. Now, I could have sacrificed a little bit of sleep to make the gym. But in my head, I had already decided like, that's okay. I know that there was going to be stretches where I just wouldn't go. I regret it fully. Like you just can't. It's hard. You can't understand what removing something like that from your life does to you until it happens. And it's like, if I could go back and, and eliminate five hours of sleep from the past week in order to get five hours into the gym, it would have been worth the exchange. I'm confident in yeah. it. Like I finally was able to get back in there today and I just felt like complete and utter garbage. But by the time it was all said and done, it was just like, oh my God, like this well, is a relation between like your, like your, your brain and your body. Like, it's just like, there's definitely a relation how, how you feel after the gym and stuff like that. Yeah. Just like getting those endorphins to flow through something other than winning and losing big pots right. is so critical. Like, you know, just constantly going through mental stress without actually balancing it through physical stress and, you know, heat, heat stress and things like that. Like I just got off the routine and it's not to say that it impacted my play at all. I, I'm really happy with the way I played uh, over the last week stretch. But what it is to say is that I can't keep that pace. Yeah. Like if I had to do it all again, starting today for the next seven days, uh, there's just no way I could keep up with it unless I started going to the gym again. Yeah. For me, it's very similar in that, like, I don't feel it in the beginning of the day, but at the end of the day, like last three levels, you know, I'm just like, man, I'm tired. But yeah. it's like when I go to the gym and things like that, like my body's just like, okay, like we're just going to push through. We're good. And then like when it's over, I just go home and, and I'm relaxing. But it's like when I don't do like, especially if I either I don't go to the gym or if I eat something bad at some point. Yeah. Those last three levels are so hard. Yeah. And, it's and, like I, I need like a coffee to get through the last yeah, three levels. I, I've been in that. Yeah. I've been in that place before, too. Like, like I said, I, I feel like I keep refining the process every summer. I remember a couple of summer uh, summers ago, I actually did really well. I made two final tables. But in the midst of all that, I didn't go to the gym all summer. And the last three levels of every single night felt exactly how you described. Yeah. I was just miserable. This past week, it was different. Like, like I said, I'd built up enough cachet where uh, it wasn't going to impact me mentally. Like, man, I, I haven't been in a fog. I've been just like really locked in. I'm doubted into a lot of what's going on. And I feel like I'm just like operating on all cylinders. But by the time I get out of my chair at midnight or one, I'm just like physically beaten. You know, it's like yeah. you've just been sitting all day long. And like you have aches in places that just don't make any sense. Sure. It's like, oh my God, my left hip is just bugging me. 
And it's it's an area that like I know I have uh, I have it's a trigger point for me. Yeah. Like I have imbalances there. And it's just like yeah, of course you haven't done anything in a week to strengthen it, and now it's creeping back or it's regressing back to where it was. Right. So do you think that like for every person like they have a thing? So like some people it's uh, like a yoga or like a meditation or like something. Like if they have that thing, what's the best way to like not fall off? So I. I think for everybody, whether they do, whether they consciously have it or not, I think that we, we revolve our life around something, mm. be it physical activity, our work, our family, our friends, uh, you know, our passions, whatever the case may be, there's some center focal point that drives us. And when, when we ignore it or we neglect it, I think it's just really challenging not to regress to a lesser version of ourselves. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, figuring out what that one thing is, is really critical. But whether it's physical activity or not, I think that you'd have a hard time finding people who live like healthy, happy lives that don't include some level of physical activity. It's just we're not meant to be sedentary creatures. Right. You know, we're, we're not meant to lay around and, and just be sloths. It's, it's too... It's too taxing mentally, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so let's move into the marathon. Oh, sorry. Not the marathon. Before the marathon, there was the Millie Maker, which was the highlight of this week. Uh, you had a pretty deep run. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick wrap-up of uh, my last few days at the Rio. I feel like I've been playing pretty much non-stop, well, basically because I have. Made a deep run in the Millionaire Maker, misplayed a hand really, really poorly where I lost the maximum, ended up defending in a three-way spot with King-8 off from the big, and for some god unknown reason, I don't know why I would do this, but I chose to just lead on king three deuce two hearts. And uh, you know, I just don't have a lead range on that texture. Um, I just brain farted for whatever reason. And I got punished to the max. Of course, the original razor raised, and then I ended up having to defend twice. River was an ace, so fortunately I was able to check fold for an all-in. Ended up busting like 129th. So the marathon was my kind of event. I was deep stacked the entire event. I tripled up pretty much immediately. Played an all-in pot as soon as I registered with aces versus ace-king. Played another near all-in pot the very next hand. Ace-king versus an unknown hand. Um, and very quickly I had 70k. I peaked on day one with about 150k and ended up bagging about 110 after uh, making a heroic full house fold on the river. You know, just a series of unfortunate events. Couldn't hold in a big flip, lost you know, a few post-flop spots, and before I knew it, I was down to 18 bigs. Probably for the first time in years, I caught myself 
darting back to the table since I was gonna be under the gun too and I didn't want to miss a hand only being 18 blinds deep. So I got back just in time to be dealt the queen eight of hearts. That should be no big deal, but the issue was that the big blind was not there. So there's a dead, uh, there's a dead big blind in the pot and that matters. And it probably matters enough for me to just open shove, especially since people are calling too tightly. Because I'm a control freak and I thought that there was a better option available, I chose to limp and we ended up going six ways for uh, a flop of jack of hearts, seven of hearts, five of spades. I ultimately like to just check shove uh, with what proved to be about three SPR and I ran into a six of hearts. And the more I thought about it, the worse my check shove actually is. Two days off. Looking forward to that. Really need to write this keynote speech. And then uh, we're gonna get back in there firing the double stack on Saturday. And if I bust that, I'm gonna hop in the 3K shootout. It's a disappointment. It, it always feels like a disappointment. Uh, just because, is it something that we're just, like, we're not supposed to win the tournament. Why not? You know, like, why not, man? <laughs> Why not me? I get it. Somebody's going to win the fucking tournament. Why not me? I get it. I get it. But it's like one of those things where, uh, you know, we're, we're both like good friends with Elliot. And he always told us, you're not supposed to win. You're chosen when you're one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fine from a logical standpoint. Yeah. But it's like, who the hell is going to sign up for these games mm -hmm. if, you, if you really believe that you're not supposed to win? Yeah. Like, I mean... It, it, it's, of course, there's there's just yeah. some like deniability there. It's like mm -hmm. or, or narcissism or whatever you want to call it. But like you know, it's a competitive arena where we believe we have an edge. Oh, for sure. But isn't that an edge? Like it, you know. Obviously, I feel the same way you feel. But I think if you think about tournaments in terms of EV and hourly, yeah. you'll kill yourself before you sign up for another one. Oh, for sure. It's just it, why would you do it, man? Why would you sign up for a five hundred dollar event where you're like. I think my ROI on this is like 300%. Right. It's like, oh yeah, you're killing it. Great. You're making 1500 bucks. Yeah. Like who's going to do that? Who would willfully do that? You're doing it because first place is a million dollars. Right. Right. And sometimes they pick you. Yeah, for sure. So it's one of those things where like, we understand what we're signing up for. Like, but then why are we so disappointed? Cause we're human, man. <laughs> it's like, it's emotional. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's emotions in this game. Like I caught myself just like, absolutely distraught at losing a massive flip in a spot where like you know nobody misplayed their hand but there was a chain of events that could have occurred where like i just didn't lose this hand and i'm just trying to impart control where it doesn't belong and also i'm just like trying to figure out why when 10 blinds go in and i have tens versus ace king it just holds but like when 70 blinds go right. in and i have queens versus ace king i'm drawing dead yeah and you know that's just me being an entitled selfish person who wants the end to come sooner than later but uh i think that's also necessary in order to be competitive right you, know, like, you have to want you can't be that fucking zen right well i don't know man chewy's fucking zen as fuck yeah like, i yeah, don't think yeah, he cares about anything that happens now he cares <laughs> he's just like he cares in a healthy way it's like, oh, I'm so happy for you that you won that hand. <laughs> like, like, the other person wins. He's like, oh, that's great, man. I really hope you do well with those trips. Sure. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I will say that, like, I have gotten good at, at kind of, like, recognizing what the actual EV of these pots won and lost are. 
I lose a 200K flip at the end of day two of the marathon. It's like, that's a lot of chips. Right. If I win that, like I'm an overwhelming chip leader, but what is the true value to that, right? It's like, I might've lost, you know, a couple hundred dollars in EV through this flip and this pot ultimately is not gonna be what defines my day. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good way to look at it. And I've always said it, like, in terms of your, your care for the tournament becomes more as the tournament progresses. Well, you're so I mean, invested. Natural. Yeah. yeah. But it's like if you were to lose that flip level two, you're just like, okay, whatever. Like, like there's yeah. another tournament. But yeah. it's like you lose it at the end of day two or day three. Now, all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, what could I have done? And then you know that you can't do anything at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I really tried not to go down that path too often. I did in this hand particularly because uh, it was just a spot where somebody else should have got stacked. And then there was a compounding effect. Mm. So just to run through the story real quickly, I opened queens under the gun. Kid with 37 blinds, flats, jacks, and then under the gun, three three bets, massive, like 12 blinds or something off of 50. And it's just like, well, that's just always ace, king, or jacks. Right. Uh, so it folds back to me. I sh oh, well, first, a guy with 15 blinds tanks forever and then folds. And it's like, whew, that's that, great. That could have been ace, queen. Yeah, he's yeah. probably either sharing outs with this hand or I have this hand dominated anyway. Mm -hmm. Folds back to me, I shove. And the kid who flatted had jacks. And it's like, in a lot of ways... I think he's just supposed to go broke, no matter how he chooses to play this hand. I mean, it seems fine to fold there. I mean, I guess that's a lot of action for jacks. There's yeah, a three I guess, bet, but like, I'm, I'm probably just not shoving kings and aces. Yeah, that's fair. But he so it's like he he's kind of like pegging me on queens exactly. What if we both have ace king? Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, for he's sure. just like miserable with his life. But anyway, he ends up mucking. Ace king calls off, and I lose. But if he calls, ace king said he would have folded. In which case. Now I just break this just, guy yeah, yeah, and we move sure. on. Well, that doesn't happen, obviously. And then you lose. Yeah. Two hands later, it folds to the button who shoves 12 blinds and I have sixes in the small. And now the kid who had jacks has 35 bigs. So I reshove and he has aces. That's annoying. It's like, That's God annoying. damn it. It's like, it's like a, uh, uh, a bunch of events that happen that almost feel like- I lose 100 big blinds yeah. in a spot where it's like, I was supposed to win 40. Yeah. I get it. It's just that's frustrating. so annoying. Yeah, that's super frustrating. And it's like that too in tournaments. It's just like you can have all these chips and like one rotation later. It's just like you lose a flip. That's 40 blinds, 50 blinds. Then you lose like another spot where you got unlucky because someone else woke up with a hand. That's another 50, yeah. what, 30 I, to 50 blinds. I chip, lead, or I, I chip lead for 10 hours of day two and I bagged a below average stack. Yeah, that's wild. And I mean, you know, it, it, but the thing is it just is what it's it is. It's not wild. It's, it's, right. it's wild to us, but in the common, in like, in the world of tournaments, if you were to see all of the graphs of yeah. like, tur like yeah, it's, it's not wild. It's, it's just super common. And right. the, the thing is, the opportunity was still there. I had plenty of plenty of play the next day. I ended up cashing, um, and you know, uh, I went on the roller coaster ride again. I, I shot up from one ten to three fifty, which was about double average by the time we made the money. Just mashed the bubble. Right. We don't think about it like that, right? Like when you go from one ten to three fifty. Yeah. You're just like. Yeah. I'm playing well. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing well. Yeah. Like, you didn't cooler nobody, nothing no. happened. But when you go from 350 to 110, it's like, yo, I got super unlucky. Well, to be fair, you know? the truth was I was playing well, and I didn't cooler anybody. All right, fine. No, but, I mean, like, most like, of the time, like, you just get a good hand, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, these guys were wilding, though. Like, I sit down at my table, and there's two people that uh, come to the table with, like, 300,000 effective each. And I think we were starting the blinds at 15-3. Uh, and I had like, I think I bagged 120, so like 40 bigs. And you could just see it in their eyes. 
that they were just going to go hard. <laughs> or actually, we started at 1224, so I had like 50 bigs. Uh, and you could just like, you just knew. We, we, were, we were 20 out of the money, and these two just had. So the, the first kid, uh, who has 300s in the big blind, the very first hand, second kid's under the gun one. He opens for 5x first hand. Just nine, or a little less, 9,500. It's like, what the hell is that? And there's a chance he just didn't know what the hell level he was at. But I don't know. No, nah, there's a chance he's just trying I, to play yeah, big pot. I just don't know because I expected this to happen. <laughs> and the small blind, three bets. Wow. To like 20K. Uh, big blind just rips for 300. Jeez. Folds back to the small blind who had like a lot of chips, like 150-ish maybe. And he was just like, that's just always aces, huh? Uh, I, don't, I don't think I can fold this one. I'm like, oh, this poor bastard has kings. Like, it's very unfortunate. <laughs> and he calls with tens. Wow. Strong. It's aces. Of course. So now the kid who had aces proceeds to open, like, every single hand. And the kid who opened to, like, 5X just flats him every single hand. And I'm just, like, able to insert myself how I see fit. So finally, after this back and forth takes place, I've chipped up to, like, 160K now. This, this kid uh, who had aces, he's a, a French-Italian kid. He said he's <laughs> – this is – I'm quoting him. He goes, he goes, I'm the worst genetic mix of a poker player of all time. I'm half French and I'm half Italian. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, but he opens under the gun. This other kid finally three bets him to six blinds. And I have queens on the button. So I just cold call because, like, who knows what's going to happen here. Under the gun kid, four bets now to 22 blinds. Snap fold. I just move it in, and he instantly mocks. Says he has queen five suited. What? Is so this, this is the table that I was at. Like, it was a dream. It was just an absolute dream. But, you know, uh, they, they just got taken away from me in flips. Not in the cards. No. So the marathon was, this is, I think, the third year they've run it. Obviously, different names. It was the summer solstice. Yeah. Then I don't know what it was called last year. It was just year. the marathon for the last okay, few years. Okay, marathon and then Mount Marathon again. Yeah. This is, though, probably the least entrance I've seen for the marathon. I think this will be the last year they run it. Right. So it, it, what are your thoughts in terms of, like, do people just not like this 100-minute thing? No, 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 no. It wasn't that Or long. is it the 26-20 that it cost? No. Or what is it? Uh, what I think happened this year and why I think that this will cease to exist in the future unless they change it in some capacity is in years past, this was the deep stack event. Yeah. It was deep stack long levels, right? So people crave that as we see with the turnouts this year, yeah. right? In years past, if you wanted to play a 1K, a 2K, a 1500, whatever, you were going to get you know, somewhere between 5K and 10K in starting chips. Right. This was now offering 2.5X that. Right. And it was and doubling levels. the levels almost, right. right? So people will convince themselves, like, more play, I have a bigger edge. They actually don't recognize that, like, the opposite is true. The, the less skilled you are at poker, right. the more turbos you want to be playing. For sure. What happened this year now is price points lowered. So now the marathon is one of the more expensive events. Yeah. And uh, chip stacks greatly increased. So if you want to play a 1500 six max, you start with 25,000 in chips. Correct. And, like, yeah, you're only getting 40-minute levels, but you're getting the same starting stack as you would in a marathon that's going to take six days to finish. Correct. Yeah, I think the six days is tough, man, because there's, there's some opportunity cost there as it pertains to you're playing a six-day-long event, and the prize pool is not as big as some of the other uh, tournaments that are available potentially around town. 
right. that might that might be uh, coinciding. For example, it's like, still two point six million prize pool. Let's, no, of let's course, not of course. But I'm it. saying like the win, you know, the win is guaranteeing one point five. It's going to break it. You know, yeah. so you're probably going to be in the two million mark uh, for for eleven hundred. Sure. You know? So I'm just saying, as it pertains to competition around town. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, I have to play six days here. I could just play that one over there. Yeah, I, I, I honestly love the marathon structure. Well, of course, we, we love it. But I'm saying I'm always thinking in the realm of a recreational playing three days, not cashing or playing, you know, three days, min cashing. It's rough. Yeah. It's, it feels rough. It, it does feel rough. But I think them just playing three days makes them happy. Okay. Like, like we undervalue what it is to put chips in bags. Because all we care about is bottom line. Yeah, because for us, I see that's the thing when when some of my friends that don't play as much uh, tell me like, oh, I like I bagged. It's yeah. like a bag is literally just a pause because we're human. Like it doesn't really mean anything. It's just it's just because we it, can't it's, play. It's a continued opportunity. Well, the only thing I look at it. So okay, so when I see a bag, the only strategic thing. Is if this table's really tough, this is a good thing. Yeah, you right? get to break. I get to break the table. But generally speaking, bagging only exists because humans can't play 24 hours, sure. 36 hours. Like yeah, if you yeah. were a bot, you would just never bag. Right, yeah, right? yeah, I get it. So I never view a bag as like an accomplishment, but people do. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I, I understand why there's some, at, uh, like some positivity attributed to it. Uh, it you know... There's days have beginnings and ends. Right. And to reach the end point is your first goal. Yeah. So it's like if you're setting your sights in very short, short uh, sighted terms, well, you know, goal number one is get to dinner. Goal number two is, or milestone number two is find a bag. Right. Milestone number three is, you know, reach dinner a day two and not, or, or make the money, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Agreed. So it's like, you know, I, I think that there is something to be said for, outlining tournament structures in a progressive way where you can achieve these small milestones, especially if that positive feedback loop is one that will, you know, lock you in and drive you further. Now, of course, the better that you get, the less these things matter to you. Right. Reaching dinner is meaningless unless you're starving otherwise. Yeah, we've been doing that this year. Let's kind of talk about that. So, and that'll kind of, we'll circle into like what we're going to talk about to end the podcast. But you know, me and you were like playing around and saying like, you know, if you don't, if you don't make dinner, you don't eat. And for me, that helps me a lot uh, just because it kind of helps me like lock in and say like, okay, like if I want to eat today, yeah, I need to uh, make sure I make all these really good decisions and maybe get like a reward or something of sure. food. Yeah. Um, what benefits for you at least, at least for me, it helps me like play better. And a lot of people will probably disagree because if they don't eat breakfast or something, they're just like, they get a headache or, or whatever, you know? So first let's talk about the process of not eating until later, because that's hard at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And why do you think that even like helps? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I'm going to speak anecdotally because uh, a lot of this science is still pretty new. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to say that it's unfounded, but it is to say that, like, I don't want to speak authoritatively right. where people are just going to poke holes in it. Um, but for me, my experience, uh, fasting, it just has a massive impact on uh, mental acuity and my ability to make crisp, precise decisions in the moment under pressure 
just seems to be greatly enhanced. Yeah. Uh, so a- anything, in my opinion, that is not negatively impacting me, but is giving me some sort of po- positive cognitive return, is well worth the exchange, right? And this is just a matter of discipline. So I don't really function very well off the reward system. Uh, it's just never been the way that I've been programmed, uh, where if you do this, then you get this. Uh, I just don't, as, as we reach adulthood and things like that, like we don't need the rewards because we could just find them anyway. You know, like, like gift giving to me is always very odd. When people give me a gift, it's just like, I really appreciate this, but like if I wanted this, I could have just went out and bought it. Yeah, but that you shouldn't, you know. No, no, I mean, I, I'm not yeah. slighting uh, the people, thought. People give it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like they, because they care. The they actual, know you could get it. Right. Yeah. I would, I would much prefer a handshake or a hug or something, something with sentiment. It makes sense. Right, because like it's thoughtful. Like it, it demonstrates the thought, not just implies it. it makes sense. Uh, the real reason why I'm doing this is just to stay diligent and disciplined. Right. It's, it's a, it's a means of checking myself and ensuring that I'm not getting loose with the credentials. Makes sense. So yeah, it's like, I just have a program time to eat. It's gonna be between six and seven every single day because that's when dinner break comes. And if I fasted that long and I don't make dinner break, but then I'll just go to the next day. You know, I can speak from like coming from the other side, like completely, where it's like, if I didn't eat, like I don't think I would have played. Like, so it's weird because in the beginning, there's like a phase, you can't just like, you can't just jump in, but it's going to be really no, hard. No, it's super hard. I've, yeah. been, I've been doing intermittent fasting for three and a half years. Right. So it's like coming from the other side where it's like I used to just like, you know, I'll just have a bagel and then just like have an orange juice or something and then yeah. go play. Like that felt as if it was necessary. But I think if, you know, now being on the other side where it's like I could definitely go the day without eating. Mm-hmm. Um, that for me, similar to what you're saying is. One of those things where it's like, I definitely play better when I'm just like not eating, just locked in. I know I'm going to eat like at six and then I'm locked in. for. And then when, I, when it's six, I make sure I'm not like overloading carbs so yeah. that like I'm not just like crashing at the end. But that window of, I would say a week of just like trying to get into this thing is hard. Like it is not easy. You're going to get headaches. Like one of the, one of the cheats that I did was making sure like all my my electrolytes and everything was just like in in line. Like first time I did it, I remember we were going from was it like New York to Baltimore, mm-hmm. and I remember I was just like I'm just not gonna eat, and I didn't know anything about electrolytes. I didn't know anything about magnesium, potassium, salt, nothing. So I just did it, right? And I felt like shit. Yeah. But I did it. But I know that feeling of feeling like shit. So it's like if you want to get into it. I think the best thing you can do is make sure you're getting all your salt, your magnesium, potassium, vitamins, and then it's going to be way easier yeah. for, for the person. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think even uh, prior to taking that step, it's just about like cleaning up the, the calories that you intake. Yeah. It's okay if, if you feel like you can't function fasted to break the fast with like small incremental foods that are going to provide you value, right? So it's putting a bigger emphasis on uh, clean protein, clean fats, and, you know, small amounts of complex carbs rather than just like grabbing, you know, uh, a banana in the morning and calling it a day. Like that's, that's okay, but it's like understand that there's, there's an insulin spike that comes with that and you're not really correcting 
uh, any of your, your body's functions by adding other slow digesting foods that, that will, uh, you know, kind of prevent the crash. It's hard though, man, when you're, when you're playing and you have 75 minute dinner, everybody's rushing to the same places. Most of the places are not catering to this kind of a lifestyle, right? You need to prep. And it's an additional layer of preparation for you on top of the gym, on top of getting good sleep, on top of making sure your strategy. So it's like, for some people that seems overwhelming. I know because I speak from it from like coming from that side. It's like this shit is hard because you have to think about many more of the things when you're already just like your job is to just show up and play. But it's that's not really your job. Your job is to show up and play prepared. And right. Play I, well. I mean, you know, we're obviously not professional athletes, but in some capacity, we're like, we're playing a mental sport. Mm. Imagine being a pro athlete and like feeling like you didn't have to concern yourself with fitness, nutrition, right. sleep, all those things, right? It's kind of the same thing. It's just, you know, the day doesn't begin and end with when you take your seat and when you leave it. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a really good, that's a really good way of putting it. All right, so you folded a full house? Yeah. Stop. I did it again. Were you right? Um, like 99% sure I'm right. Uh, the guy said he would tell me after we both busted the event, but I didn't bother to ask him again because... Because you knew? I'm pretty confident. So here's the scenario. Um, end of day one, I have all the chips in the marathon. And so I have like 150K and I think blinds are like 255. Or sorry, 2535, two, whatever the hell okay, it is. Okay, so you have 300 big blinds. Yeah, just piles. Uh, and I'm V-pipping like 90% of hands. Okay. If it's if it touches, is suited, or has a high card in it, I'm probably raising it. Uh, and I was also getting dealt like, you know, good starting hands, like queen eight suited, king ten off. Right, hands that you can play. Yeah, hands that are like no-brainers when you have like this type of table presence and momentum going for you. So this hand, I had opened four hands in a row, won them all, uh, either through showdown or through c-bets. And yeah, I wasn't really showing down a lot of hands either, which is also great. Really facing no resistance. Nobody's really taking stance three betting. Uh, I'm just getting like one or two calls almost every single hand, and they're just giving up. I'm getting good board textures, of course. So I opened king-10 off under the gun one. Um, pretty sure we we're playing 255, but it might have been 3-6. Let's okay. just, for the sake of argument, assume 3-6. Okay. I opened 12. Um, under the gun two, flats. Uh, he's... Probably like a mid forty something, nice guy chatting with him. Uh, he has about sixty k to start the hand, um, okay. and big blind calls. Okay. Flop comes king ten three rainbow with the ten of diamonds. Okay, so we have top two. Top two, um, checks to me. I check checks through. Uh, I mean, that's a discussion point, but yeah, I don't think no, we have to, I, I think it's worth discussing. So my big thing was that I was just pretty certain that his flatting range wants to bet this board, like, always. Um, and when he chooses not to bet this board, he just has a hand that's stone dead, like 8-9. So you think he would bet a hand like ace-queen? I think he would 3-bet ace-queen, but if he, okay. if he doesn't 3-bet ace-queen, I can't fathom how he doesn't C-bet this I board understand. texture. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm checking a lot of my 10x. I have the board very crippled here. I think ace-jack should be betting. I think queen-jack should be betting, at least at some frequency. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe he's just going to go off with some of these other hands, like eight sevens that feel like they need to protect. So I check. He checks back. Uh, turn is 
the king of diamonds. Now I have top house. Right. Puts king ten of diamonds out. Checks to me. Uh, and I choose to go large because, again, I think ranges are pretty inelastic at this point. They're either folding to any bet or they're continuing yeah, with a lot sure. of equity. Uh, so I bet 25 into 35. He calls and the big blind folds. So at this point, like, we have to assume his range is something like some jacks. I assume maybe some 10Xs. I think he's really, really condensed to nut flush draws. There is that, yeah. yeah. So it has to be a showdown hand is what, kind of what I'm saying. Well, or just have equity. Okay. Like, ace, deuce of diamonds never folds. Yeah, well, that's a showdown. Like, uh, yeah, I guess so. You see I, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I could have worse diamonds at right. some frequency. Um, so, yeah, I, I would assume that. Uh, but probably no diamond draw folds just because it's me. Okay. So if he does have a hand like seven, six of diamonds that didn't start betting and now peels a flush draw, he's probably just going to be resigned to calling. Um, River is then the queen of diamonds, which is a okay. very tricky card. So ace, jack of diamonds and jack, nine of diamonds now both make a straight flush. Yes. Um, but, you know, he obviously has all other nut flushes. Yes. So I kind of have a decision here. I could just bet large and know that I'm going to be getting called a fair amount or I can get greedy. So betting large here, the pot's 8,500. I'll be betting something in the neighborhood of like 6K. Getting greedy. Yeah, it's like betting like 10.5. No, no, no. It would be check raising. Oh, well, yeah, that for sure. Um, and I don't think that this is a spot where I'm quote unquote allowed to check raise. Uh, I think it's too thin. I think he has With too your many, exact hand, yeah. Yeah, I think he has too many combinations of hands that uh, put me in bad shape. Um, like, if he's playing well, the hands that should call my check raise, or, or sorry, the hands that can call my check raise should just fold because I don't have any natural bluffs. Right. And the rest of his range should be shoving because he has a straight flush. Um, I guess like you're, you're, you know, and this isn't a strategy podcast. So I guess like if I'm picking a hand randomly that might check raise for your hand, would Ace probably King with be- Ace of diamonds or King Jack with the Jack of diamonds. Right, right. Something like that. I guess it's that really has hard for me to have either of those hands. Ace of diamond, maybe Ace of diamond queen? That like wanted to show down, but then now face the bet and doesn't think it can call. Yeah, I think that's fair. the The problem with all those hands is I'm not sure what I'm targeting because it's hard for him to have a king. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, honestly, th those hands would be the ones I fell into because I would check them. Right. And then he would bet what I would assume to be like incorrect bets. Right. Right. Because if I have ace queen with the ace of diamonds, it's like, well, you don't have the nut flush, you don't have a royal flush. Uh, and right. I don't think you have a king here very often. Right. And I so, block full houses. So, yeah, I would probably just, like, check smash. Right. So, anyway, we land on the river. Uh, he has 50,000, and the pot is 8,500. I check, and he bets 10K. Yeah. And now, and now I think my decision is very clear. Yeah, I agree. It should just be a call. Correct. Right. And because of his size. Yeah, he, he shouldn't be taking this size with nut flushes, and the way that we punish him when he does is by just calling with better hands. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you, you realize how crazy that sounds to the like, average person. No, I understand, and honestly... You have, like, second house. Yeah, and to be fair, with my image, I thought that I could still get thin value. I thought that these mistakes would be taking place at such a high frequency that I could actually eke out a small amount of value here, but it's really tricky with the SPR. 
So we have like pot behind. So he has like 40K behind. But I don't think, I, I think I let him off the hook if I shove, right? I think he starts to play perfectly and only calls with like royals, straight flushes, and then if he ever has king queen. So I think if I'm going to check raise here, I can't be all in. I think it just allows him to make some hero folds. Uh, I think not flushes start hitting the muck, and that's a problem. But I do feel greedy, mm. and I do feel like I want to tax him. So I make what I think is like the best exploitable raise here, and I make it 25000 Right. And that's like you would never bluff this way. No, no, for sure not. I would just be all in. Right. But I actually don't think it's that bad to bluff this way. Uh, it's only bad because like he can just he'll never off. he'll just call with a flush. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we want to put max pressure on that. And I, I think my assumptions are relatively accurate. Where like if I shove nine high flush definitely folds. Right. If I make it twenty five, sometimes he just makes crying calls. Right. Um, so when when I make it twenty five, he hits me with the best reaction ever. Like this is when I just felt like a goat. He just goes, and I'm like, fuck yeah. He has enough flush and he's going to call for sure. Like there's just no doubt in my mind. Like that, that, that like where you just see their body go limp where it's just like, yeah, like, God, I should have never bet this river or I should have never chose this size. And now I'm just in the cage. Right. And I'm like, ah, right. We got him. This is great. What a run out. What a run out. What a run out. And then he slams it home, just stuffs it for 50 K. And at that point, you, just, you know he doesn't have ace deuces diamonds or anything like that. Right, yeah. right. And I'm just like, is this guy over it? No way. No way. Like, that's 40 big blinds extra that he just smashed home. And right. I know that people don't necessarily think that way. But also just like... He had the option to just call. Yeah, he had a bluff catcher. There's right. no way he's smashing a bluff catcher. It doesn't make any sense. So I look at him and I go, I go, man, I'm going to fold a full house face up because you just Hollywooded the shit out of me. And I like start holding my hand like this. And I'm just like playing with it so he can see. And then he starts talking to me. Like, you're going to fold a full house? And I'm just like, man, I've never been more confident. Like, I'm just firing and singing the muck, but I'm going to enjoy being tortured a little bit more. I go, you understand that if you have a royal, you have to show it. Like, those are the rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just like the implied rule of poker. And so I fired in the muck, and he just, like, looks back at his hand and then tables the queen of spades. Mm. Okay. So I go, okay, you had king, queen of spades. 100%. 100% had king, queen of spades. And then I tw- he tweeted at me. Uh, kind of implying that he might have queens. And it's like, first of all, that's the worst lie. Because, like, the best lie would have been that you had ace-queen with the ace of diamonds. Yeah. Like, that's the way you should lie. Not that you had queens. Like, mm-hmm. because, like, if you're value-shoving queens there, it's over. He might, I lo- but I don't think so. I looked at him, I go, you're a psychopath. Like, I would just call with a royal flush. Yeah. Like, I folded king-10. I would, I, would, I would only be calling with a straight flush here, for sure. Thing is... You know what's sick? Like, obviously, I, I do agree with your fold. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that he did have queens. Like, it's... Like it's you know why it's out of the realm of possibility? Good. Because he looked back at his hand. Oh, for sure. There's no need to look and choose a card. And, right. and he didn't even, like, roll over the top card. He looked back at his hand and, like, had to pull the bottom card out. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's just like, I 100% no, know that the king has, of spades is underneath him. Yeah, yeah, that's king. Okay. That's okay. That's true. That's wild, man. Uh, this is the year of Berkey folding full house. This is this is your twice year. in the same year. At least I've been right once. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope we hope allegedly right. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that it's really hard for Queens is a bluff card. Like 
His entire uh, also to not three bet queens when I'm opening a hundred percent just seems like ambitious. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what comes up this week? What's the big event this week? Is it Colossus? No, double stack. Double stack. Colossus is in two weeks. Two. I know this because it's the day of my uh, keynote speech. Oh, so let's talk about that. You have a. <laughs> I mean, no, you have a you have a you have a speech that you were invited to do, that you've been pretty terrified of yeah yeah pretty, yeah pretty afraid of it you know but you know a lot of people don't know this but like we we took like speaking like class i would say like it was a, a workshop speaking, yeah. speaking class speaking workshop of like and now about i would say like nine months later you're getting invited to do a keynote speech like tell the people a little bit about it um yeah so basically i guess it was four years ago now Almost exactly to the day, actually. Um, my mom passed away from an overdose, and I wrote a blog, basically just like, you know, kind of discussing the tumultuous relationship that we had growing up uh, and, you know, where, where we were at when I found out that she passed. Um, and, you know, it circulated. I ended up getting it like, it, it got me a blogging platform on Huffington Post for a brief period of time until they did away with that. Uh, and this person who is uh, the lead at the San Francisco Recovery Center. Um, for those who are unaware, San Francisco has like one of the worst opioid problems in all of America. Yeah. Um, so he had stumbled across my blog just randomly. I thought like somebody had put him in touch or something along those lines, but no, he just like randomly stumbled across my blog, read it, loved it, reached out and said, hey, uh, we're doing our second annual recovery summit. It'll be like 300 uh, recovering addicts, families, and friends uh, would love you to be the keynote speaker. And at the time, I was like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, I definitely want to do more public speaking. And uh, this is a subject matter that, you know, kind of hits, yeah, yeah. hits close to home. He's like, you know, the, the, the framework will be uh, how addiction impacts family and friends. Like, basically, it's collateral damage. It's like, yeah, no problem. Like, I can definitely speak to that. And then he was like, you know, we want it to be like 45 minutes long. Mm. And in the moment, I was just like, yeah, okay. But then, like, I started researching. It's like TED Talks are 15 minutes. Right. And they're good. They're and they good. take a lot of work, I'm sure, to get – well, I, I am sure. Yeah, yeah. To get a good 15 minutes. I have to do three of those on a topic where, to be fair, I've never been addicted to anything. Right. I've never done a drug. I've never drank alcohol. And it's like, you know, you can make an argument that – gambling or poker is an addiction but like i don't even gamble i don't sports bet i don't i don't enjoy making bets with friends like there's a dirty feeling to it um so like i don't really relate in a in a one-to-one -one correlation with these people uh and i'm very sensitive well, to that i mean i i agree not i don't want to <laughs> i feel like i always cut you off but i talk a lot but there's there is definitely a correlation to at least the perception of our group is that you don't do these things because of like your mom and things like that. Yeah. Like you don't drink and you don't do these, like, like you want to remove yourself so far from that. Like, do you think that is something you can, I think at some point uh, that may have like built up, but I honestly, like it's crazy to seem or it's crazy to hear, I guess, but like she was the biggest impact to all that in a very different way. Uh, I was just very black and white as a kid. 
and what was right was right, what was wrong was wrong, and to me there was no in between. Yeah. And that was just the way the world was policed. You know, drugs were bad, right. alcohol was bad, violence was bad, uh, going to school and getting good grades was good, sports were good, you know, yeah. being uh, respectful and minding your P's and Q's was good, and I just towed that line. You know, I always said please and thank you, I always said sorry, and I just never, ever, ever was a deviant. Yeah. So I literally never had a curiosity. Uh, by the time I was 14, I wasn't even living with my mom anymore. I was with my grandparents, uh, and like never have I really like demonized, uh, substance. Like people drink, I don't care. Like, uh, this happens to me all the time where I'll go on dates and girls will be like, I, I feel really self-conscious, like drinking around you, yada, yada, yada. It's like, honestly, like, I don't know if I could date somebody who didn't drink because like, I'm, I feel like I, there's already a perception that I'm wound too tight. I definitely couldn't be around somebody else who's wanting too tight. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so it's like, you know, I just don't care. Like, it, it's part of the world. Like, I've been, I've, for the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of, like, deep dives into uh, psilocybin and, like, the impacts that that has on PS, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, like, fascinating to me that we have all these sciences out there. And it's, it's no different than health and nutrition, in my opinion. Uh, it's just the science is very young and it's going to continue to mature. I'm very much of the mindset that like the war on drugs was a farce and like yeah, a lot of people think we that. should decriminalize a lot of this stuff. And, you know, I use CBD on my dog. It's like, it's not like I have some sort of negative connotation to these things. Um, she was just always a big detractor in the sense that like from the age of five on, it was always just like, don't do these things that you see me do. Don't smoke. Like don't, don't smoke weed. Like she would tell me these stories that now are kind of laughable, but when you're six and you hear them, they're just like really impactful. Like she basically told me that my cousin who was like 10 years older than me, so he was like 16 when I was six, she was like, yeah, Chris was walking home from school one day and these older kids like stopped and they like kidnapped him and threw him in the car and made him smoke weed. And like, you know, basically she just like demonized it. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want to be around those people. Um, so, you know, I kind of grew up in this like weird, this, this like weird contradiction where I was forever judging people that were, uh, using substance, but my mom at the same time was just like strung out out of her mind and makes sense. I was living day by day, like hoping that she was going to get better. So then how does that correlate to now? So you're, you're going to San Francisco. Yeah. You're going to have a 45 minute talk on this subject matter. Are you afraid? Are you my fear, Are you afraid of like people All right, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I guess like my fear is just like well, A, it's a lot. And I'm not anywhere near as knowledgeable on this subject as I would be a lot of other things. If this were diet and nutrition, I feel like, you know, it's dry, but you can get a lot of information and just like go This is meant to be like an emotional empathetic talk. Right. And yeah, like I have that part in me, but it's buried pretty deep. You know, I, I'm just like not emotional. Uh, I've made peace with my mom and, and everything that happened. And I just don't like feel a pit in my stomach when I talk about it. But I think that that's a lot of like what needs to be projected. There needs to be a lot of uh, sympathy and empathy for the crowd who's suffering through this. There needs yeah. to be uh, a lot of discussion on, you know, how poorly we as a society uh, view people with addiction and how poorly we handle substances as a whole right it's like we we very much cast 
those people aside is like wasted. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's why the homeless problem is so bad in San Fran. The opioid problem, people are trying to escape. And all of this falls back to, you know, chemical imbalances in the brain that, that they seek substance to fix. And, you know, not all two substances are alike. There's a big difference between methamphetamine and, uh, and weed. There's a big difference between mushrooms and heroin. You know, it's, it's, uh, I guess like it's a sensitive topic and it's one that I just have a fear that I'll get the tone wrong because my emotions aren't as, as tied to it as they were when I wrote that blog. I think it's one of those things though, that your emotions can't be wrong simply because it's just a result of, of what happened. So it's like whatever emotion you take can't be necessarily wrong. Well, the thing like, is, I, it's not that it's wrong. It's, it's like I'm void of them. I don't think that's true because you being, so for example, you having a like buried emotion is an emotion. Sure. And that's still, that counts. Well, and the thing is, I don't even know that anything is suppressed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, right? Like, I could just have dealt with it and moved on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my day-to-day, that's how I feel like uh, it, it's occurred. But, um, yeah, assuming that there's something suppressed, I don't know how to tap into it. So that already, like, phrase the connection between me and 300 people who are suffering. Maybe. But it could also just be that they're also em- empathetic to, to seeing that from you. How? Because they could, they could have that too. No, because look at how I'm presented, man. It's, it's, and we're going to bring up this professional who makes seven figures in a game and has never done a drug or, dr- or taken a sip in his life, and he's going to speak to you about the struggles of addiction. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that, that's definitely like you're being set up almost. Right. You know. But right. It's, it's, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm already going to be inserted onto a pedestal that I don't deserve. And I need to figure out a way to like climb down. But that's fine. You can say it. like you don't really deserve sure. to be to be framed this way because you're just. Yeah. You know. yeah Acknowledgement's great. Yeah. It's just, you know, people make connection through emotion. That's right. that's just the way it works. And I'm a poker player. So by nature, I've, I've deprogrammed myself as best I can. So final topic, I saw an article that our friend Dan kind of shot at us and told us to, uh, send, to, it to, to Oscar. Send, send it over to Oscar. And if you guys don't know Oscar, you, you will soon. Uh, we've, we're pretty much doing a doc on him. And it's pretty much said that one consumption of, of a soda or, or pop uh, a day lowers your biological age slash telomeres by 4.6 years of yeah. your life. Yeah. So for those that don't know what telomeres are, they're pretty much, if you envision uh, a shoelace being your DNA, right, uh, the, the coating or like the caps on, on the end of your, of your shoelace is what also caps your DNA. So that, those are the telomeres at the end. So over time, they deteriorate, and that's what's causing uh, aging. Mm. So drinking one soda a day is deteriorating 4.6 years faster of your telomeres. And some of the things in terms of like elongating your telomeres or like preserving them is like meditation, sauna, et cetera. Yeah. But this like refined sugar, 4.6 years. That's, that's a lot for one soda a day. What if you're doing two soda, three sodas, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously the one soda comes out to being an average. Right. Uh, and it has to be over some sort of time span. 
But yeah, I mean, like, in a lot of ways, like, this is irreversible damage. And that's really problematic. Uh, as you mentioned, there are ways to kind of, like, slow down the process. Right. Be it through heat stress or physical stress. But you Meditation know, was one of them, which was weird. I didn't really understand that. But. Well, no, I, I think it makes sense uh, in some capacity. Because look at all the other uh, realms through which we're trying to reduce inflammation. It's all stressors, right? right. So it's heat stress, it's physical stress, uh, cold stress, cold stress. Like we're, we're doing all of these things that really uh, focus on blood flow and and moving um, inflammation out of the body and things like that. Something has to be done to heal our mind, mm. right? Like there there has to be some sort of outlet that will allow us to uh, forget the body for a second and figure out ways that our mind can basically like decompress from all these stressors. Because those are the healthy stressors, but there are plenty of unhealthy stressors as well. Yeah. And that's, that's going to have the biggest impact on, on your mental acuity. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, the problem is, is that we're such simplistic creatures and have such a short-term vision of things. And the reality is that, like, we're so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Like, if you take a zoomed-out approach of the entire universe right. or whatever, right, we're... We individually are so insignificant, but we as a we as a, a race, or uh, a human race, I guess, are are pretty impressive. Right. You know, like it's it stands to reason there At least are to our other own scope. Yeah. Yeah. It stands yeah. to reason there are other human races or something comparable out there, but to our knowledge, we're the we're the only one of our kind, and that's that's pretty pretty wild, right? And it's impressive. The problem is we're built to just live one day at a time without any emphasis on the end of it all. Well, we're trying to avoid like the end as much as we can. Right, or at which least is, think about which it. is yeah. totally out of our control. So right. what we do is we put it out of mind. And the problem is when you start to quantify these things, where you say, if you drink X amount of uh, pops in a year, you will exchange X amount of years of your life. People don't care. Because, or, they, or they don't believe. Or at least they, they choose to not see that. Well, the problem is, is that they don't understand that there's a hard cap on their lifespan, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll just say, well, I've seen people live to 101. Mm -hmm. So who gives a shit if I only live to 99, right? I don't want to live that long anyway. A lot of people will say, like, I don't want to live that long anyway. Right. And what they're really speaking to isn't the decreased uh, lifespan. It's the decreased quality of life. Right, that's, right? A big, that's a big difference, yeah. Yeah, so like a lot of the the nutritional information and uh, lifestyle stuff that I personally like do study with doesn't really speak to increasing the, the median lifespan. It increase, or it speaks to increasing the median quality of life. Right. Right? And I talked to, my sister is a prime example of this. Like she just had, had terrible habits throughout her entire life. She was very unlucky. Uh, she got pregnant young when she had my nephew. Uh, she fractured her lower lumbar and then had bad advice and ended up having lower lumbar surgery or fusion, right? So she has a lot of like crippling physical ailments. But on top of that, she ate like shit for two decades. She would drink soda every day. She smoked. She just did all this stuff that was like crushing her body, you know? And when I would like try to sit her down and have a, a logical conversation about it, she would just say like, I don't care. We're all dying anyway. It's like, yeah, I know. But what you don't understand is that we've been dying since birth and there's a rapid difference between the way that you're dying at age three compared to the way that you're dying at age 80. Right. And the whole goal is for there not to be such a big gap. 
Well, one of the things that one of the things that I was reading about is so your body is programmed to care about the things that it keeps you alive right now. Right. right? So eventually, like, so you don't feel like, you know, when you're this young, you, you don't feel like those things that it keeps putting off. Mm -hmm. But eventually those things show up. Right. So it's like, yeah, you're drinking a soda day and it's damaging something. Mm -hmm. But that thing is not necessary to keep you alive right now. So it just puts it to the side. Right. And it focuses on the things that keeps you alive now. Yeah. Eventually when you're 80, it can't keep putting these things off and it shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reality is death is nothing to fear, right? It's, it's permanent, it's quick, and it's, it's out of your consciousness, at least to our knowledge. Dying is the, is the scary part, right? It's like when I went back home to be a caregiver for my grandma, for three months, I watched her die. Yeah. And that process is awful, right? And it's like there are systems in the body that help you cope. Like she, she got loopy towards the end and she would like hallucinate and, you know, it's just floods of dopamine and all kinds of other chemicals that are, are keeping her lucid. But like, she's also like losing her mind in the process. That's a byproduct of, of not living a healthy life in a lot of ways. You know, it's when you don't care about what you consume and when you don't care about inviting these healthy stressors to elongate your quality mean of life. What ends up happening is the dying process is everything that you feared. And every time somebody says like live fast, die young kind of thing, it's like, well, you don't get to control that. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is modern medicine is going to keep you alive for a long fucking time, yeah. but you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer with diabetes. You're going to suffer through a lot of other physical ailments. You're going to suffer by being bedridden. You're going to suffer through the actual process of reaching your end. And that's one of the things that got me like the most... I guess scared, you would say, where it was like, I got my blood work done with uh, Dr. Edwards, who we both work with. And like when he read me back that first report, he was like, he's like, you don't have diabetes now. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's like, you don't even have pre-diabetes now, but you're going to get diabetes. Yeah. Like, and I was just like, me, diabetes to me was like one of those things that I was just like, no one in my family has ever had diabetes. Like, right. what does that even mean? Like, yeah, yeah. all I know from diabetes, you know, and I'm sure there's people that are watching this that might potentially have diabetes. It's like, to me, it's like, okay, like, I'm afraid of needles. I don't, I don't <laughs> I, I'm afraid of needles. I don't, I don't like needles. I, I don't know anything about diabetes except like a real, like, dumb version of like people getting like their leg cut off or something like that. That's all I know about diabetes. Yeah. So like, for me, I was just like, wow, that's really scary. And then I started reading about like diabetes and I'm like, yo, there is a diabetes epidemic. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And it all centers around insulin resistance. Yeah. So the irony is like, they're not even treating it in a way. Uh, all they're doing is making it manageable. They're yeah. not actually treating the disease itself. Correct. To Correct. treat it like you wouldn't, you wouldn't take insulin shots. That's right. madness. Right. Right. You, you would clean up your diet and you would try to lower your insulin levels. But instead, like they just say like, oh, you've reached a point of resistance where there's no return. Yeah. So we're just going to pump you full of sugar for the rest of your life. Yeah, that was wild. And like, I forget exactly what my insulin, uh, my resting insulin level was. I think it was like 15 or something, something 16, something wild where it yeah, was just like. To, to give a baseline, yeah. like somewhere in the neighborhood of like. It's like six and eight that. is yeah. like normal. Yeah. And it was like, you know, and then I worked, I worked pretty hard. Like, you know, I got it down. Now the last one was nine and I'm hoping like the next one is like seven or six. You yeah. Know? And then at that point I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not dead. Um, 
But it's wild, man, in terms of like understanding what sugar is doing. And then like I started researching just like the, the, the history of sugar, which is obviously really long and we don't have to get into all that. But simply just the more and more data that comes out is simply like sugar is just killing you. Like, yeah, period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think there are a lot of naysayers who will say like, oh, well, this happened with fat at one point And, you know, butter used to be considered bad for you and things like that. It's like. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We've jumped to some conclusions along the way. And as the science gets better, we'll continually like retract type things, those types of things. But there's a huge difference in why saturated fat was mislabeled compared to uh, us or, or, or naysayers thinking that sugar is currently being mislabeled. But what, what was that thing? Like, what was the whole... Because I think I missed that... that either I missed it or I haven't done enough research where like, what is the difference between like the trans fat, saturated fat, like, okay, so and like the whole. Yeah. So like trans fats are, uh, are fats that are a byproduct of processing, which are very, very bad, at least to our knowledge. Now I've seen some like material come out recently that's saying like, it might not be as bad as we previously perceived. And I suppose that that's feasible because generally trans fat is, a byproduct of some shit food, mm. right? It's either fried food that's breaded or whatever, yeah. or it's something that's heavily processed like a hot dog or an Oreo or, or something to that effect. Um, so the actual trans fat itself may not be as bad as we think it is, uh, but the the way we're consuming it um, means that like we just shouldn't, right? So I think ev- eventually I could see a situation where like if you took a chicken breast and put it in a deep fryer, with no breading, no, no nothing like that, and ate it, the trans fat probably wouldn't impact you negatively. I don't know, though. But it's the breading and all that stuff. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's all the other things correlated to the trans fats that are definitely bad. Like, eating Oreos is bad, right. for sure. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Um, saturated fat, for a very long period of time, had a bad name. Uh, a, because it, was animal, it, it comes from animal byproducts. So there's always that vegan animal debate that goes yeah. on. But B, um, and they also it was a cholesterol thing, right? Yeah. That was the other thing. So consuming animal products means you're consuming cholesterol, and uh, the LDL HDL uh, markers were what people utilized to determine whether or not uh, you you were, I guess, a threat for heart disease, right? So I believe LDL, I think HDL is your good cholesterol. So LDL, right, right. LDL is the bad one. When yeah. LDL. Uh, or at least for decades, when LDL was elevated, people were of the impression that you were you had a precursor for for heart disease, right. and largely it was diet dietary, right? So like if you eat a lot of saturated fat, your LDLs will be higher. That has largely been disproven. There's uh, the the way that they were mm-hmm. correlating the LDL to actual uh, heart disease and things like that ended up just being a misnomer or, yeah. or uh, faulty science, I guess. Um, so that's why you're seeing like things like butter and eggs and all these other nutritious foods on a rise. Now, sure, we may find issues with fat again, but I think it's unlikely just simply due to the fact of looking at the ancestry of our, of our beings, right? Inuits have lived off of pure fat for centuries. Right. And they do not just fine, but better than the average American. Yeah, now the now I think the, you know, and neither of us are doctors, so we're kind of just going by 
by like what we yeah, read. Yeah, do your own research. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, so triglycerides, triglycerides are now like the, the, indicator. the indicator of like, okay, like, you, you know, we have to work on this stuff. Uh, yeah, and it's it's been it's been wild. Like I, I really enjoy the kind of like the biohacking of like seeing where you're at, testing, yeah. doing it again, seeing where you're at. So it's it's fun, at least for me, especially coming from like being like super overweight, everything, all the markers were bad. I had some like good markers that I was like gifted yeah. by by you know Genetics. luck. Yeah. yeah. Um, but generally the things I could control were pretty bad. Sure. You know? So like now they're like definitely better, especially with like some of the things that like I was given and things like that. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I think in a large way, like we're super fortunate due to the independence that poker provides us, um, not just financially, but also uh, logically speaking. Like because you're constantly in the pursuit of optimization in that realm, it carries over. Mm-hmm. And like to me, uh, especially having grown up in an athletic background where like you know, gym was life and sport was life and things like that. Well, as you become an adult and those things become a little bit less available, the one-off to that is the training, yeah. right? It's, it's what you did to prepare for the sport and it's what you did to prepare your body, right? That should never fall off. Yeah. You're, you're a vessel that is meant to live a high quality life as long as humanly possible if you put some effort into it. For sure. And to not pursue the biohacking and the optimization to me just feels like, uh, you know, I don't want to be dismissive, but it feels lazy. Yeah. And, and it is, it is, but I could, I, I have like the, like the spectrum of it. Cause I understand once you're in a, it's really hard because your brain fights you the whole way. It's you know not just saying? that either. It's, it's, we live life backwards. So we put into our defaults, the things that we should put our largest focus on relationships, health, mm. fitness, nutrition, um, you know, mental health, uh, social health, all of these things, right? Mental, social, physical. Those are the things that every single waking hour we should have in the forefront of our mind in some capacity, right? And then our, by default, we should be productive and, uh, you know, passionate about our jobs or careers, whatever the case may be, right, how, right. basically how we accumulate money. And the problem is, is we do the exact opposite. Right. And that's why there's a health epidemic in this, in this society, right? Makes it's sense, like yeah. we kill ourselves trying to make money in order to buy time. Yeah. And by, that, by the time that you actually reach that level, it's too late. So if instead you were just investing your time appropriately on these things that matter, if you just look at the Maslow hierarchy, right? It's like everybody's caught in the rat race. And this is what I did my first public speaking talk about was the hierarchy of needs. If you, if you go through the pyramid, the bottom two are food, clothing, shelter, uh, and safety, right? That, that's the bottom two rungs. Those in 2019, for the vast majority right. of people who are of sound mind and body, come as a default. Correct. It's hard to not have food, shelter, clothing, and safety. Right. Right? You have to not actively choose but be at some sort of disadvantage, major disadvantage, right? So if we just defaulted that stuff and recognize like, yeah, we'll earn enough money to cover our needs. We don't need the biggest house. We don't need the fastest car. We don't need the brightest clothes, et cetera, right? We just need to have the, the means met. And then instead put our emphasis on the next level, which is, you know, social acceptance, self-acceptance, and right. then altruism. 
now all of a sudden, those, those areas that we're neglecting so much and just defaulting to, well, of course I'm going to need to eat today, but I'll just grab something on the go. And of course, like, it'd be nice if I went to the gym today, but like, I'm walking to work. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we, we put those into a default setting into our brain so we don't have to think about them because it stresses us out to try to figure out how to live life better. But the reality of the matter is, is like, if we put all of our time, energy, and effort into that, our education would get better. Our yeah. science would get better. We'd become world leaders in a lot of er other arenas because you'd be unlocking yeah. portions of the brain and, and the intellects out there in the world who are now caught in the rat race. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of the people that we relate to the best usually fall into that category now where they're like trying to better themselves. And in, as a byproduct, they're really good at what they do. Yeah, Not they're really good at what they do and then eventually become better at this. And I think like almost everybody who falls into that category, whether they got there by purpose or on accident, uh, what, what ended up happening was they found freedom, right? They just recognized somewhere along the line, a, fl uh, a switch was flipped where they just said, like, at the end of the day, I'm going to be all right. 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 And like once you can make peace with yourself with that, no matter what decisions you make, you're going to be all right you're going to have food, shelter, clothing, and safety. Once you're able to just like distill that down and swallow it and say like, okay, like I can fuck up immensely every yeah. day and I'll still have these basic needs met. Well, now I can put a big emphasis on enlightenment. So one of my uh, childhood icons got shot oh, in, in the DR. So this is crazy. So I, I want to talk about a couple different topics. So first of all, he got shot by a hitman by the cops in DR for like 7,800 American dollars because rumor is that he was sleeping with the guy's wife. Oh. So that's what happened. Mm. Poppy. But after he gets shot, he tells like the people in the hospital, like, oh, don't let me die, whatever. And then the Red Sox flew their private plane to the DR to pick him up and then brought him back yeah. to, to go to the Boston uh, hospital. Yeah. That's a crazy story because <laughs> what's crazy <laughs> is in our group chat, you said that you could get somebody killed in the DR for 3K. I said it. I was like, that's easy. <laughs> Funny thing is I was telling Matt Hunt, who's British, right, right. who's probably never seen a gun in his life. <laughs> I was like, bro, if you go to DR, like, you could get someone killed for 3K. Easy. Easy. That's easy work. Yeah. Poppy, who's a, who is, <laughs> a legend who's a legend in the country, yeah. it was 7,800. <laughs> like, like, that is wild, man. Yeah. Like, he is an icon of the country. Sure. I don't even know what to think. So, my question to you is, have you ever been in danger because you slept with someone's wife? <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. Um, and to follow up, I'm not going to the DR with you. Dude, I'm not going to kill you for 3K. Like, yeah, I ain't worried about you. Bro, it's, it, the truth is, like, it is very dangerous uh, outside of, like, any, like, if you go to a resort or, like, anything that's in, enclosed, mm. it's fine. Outside of the resorts, it's really dangerous, yeah. especially if you're American. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, because they think, like, you know, you have, you have money. You have money, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, generally you do. So, or at least a lot more than them. Like, you live in abundance. Yeah, sure. So it's one of those things where, like, it, I could see. I just didn't think someone, like, 
like David Ortiz was ever in danger in that country. Yeah. But you know, when you're messing with somebody's wife, now all of a sudden all bets are off. I mean, I'm glad he's okay. But I do want to. How talk- do you get shot in the back and you're just fine? He got shot twice. What did he use a BB gun? Nah, man. He 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 was in danger. He was really in danger. It's crazy. Yeah. But think about just the, you know, if you and I get shot, Dr. We don't have the funds to oh, get a we're private dead. plane. We're dead. Yeah. Yeah, like, we die in a DR hospital. Like, he got flown back in a private Boston Red Sox airplane. He doesn't even play for them anymore. Bro, they got to protect the brand, yeah, man. They, they snap. He is the Red Sox. Yeah, so effectively, the story goes, like, he called the Red Sox, asked them, like, if for a favor. Yeah. And they did it. You yeah, know, yeah, Obviously, yeah. you know. Yeah, of course. But that, that sparked the discussion. Of What's he doing in the DR, man? He was fucking the guy's wife, man. Like, yeah, well, why? Why, why? I don't. You're, you're David Ortiz, man. Go find an American girl. Like, what do you put yourself in danger for? It's crazy, dude. There are Dominican girls in America. Dominicans never change. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, us poppies, we don't change, man. We're fucking for <laughs> it. Um, just like in the slums of the DR. Just yeah, like, in a club in the DR, just yeah. like in the randomness. Yeah, like, yeah. He's not even in the resort. He's just like in the hood. Right, for sure. Um. But there was a discussion in terms of classism as it pertains to, like, health and safety and things like that. Like, if you and I get shot, like, we're okay. Like, we're not, like, we're not, uh, like, you know, we're not on, like, welfare and things like that. Like, we can afford health care as yeah. it pertains to that. But is there a discussion to be had in terms of what would it take, like, what would it take for a regular person who gets shot in a foreign country to get back to America. Bro, this is this is like my biggest fear with traveling. Yeah. Like and it's it's a stupid fear. It's such an American fear to have. Like you're definitely less safe on the streets of Chicago at right. midnight than you would be in the middle of Amsterdam. Yeah. For but sure. it's it's the it's the language barrier, it's not knowing your way around, it's not understanding how the medical systems work in these areas and things right, like right. that. But yeah, I mean in some instances you'd be better off being in another country. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna get better care if if you're just uh, not in DR though. No, no, right, no, no, right. no, not in like a a, a poverty. Yeah. If you if you make average income and you go to a poverty stricken nation, then yeah, you're not gonna do very well. But like if you find yourself in Canada or Belgium, you're probably gonna do just fine if you land yourself in the hospital. Right, right. But yeah, I, I mean, I watched like the movie Hostel when I was younger, like in college or whatever. Mortified me, bro. I was afraid of the movie. I was afraid it was Taken. Yeah. I was like, yo, chill. Oh, you're all right, man. They're not going to sex traffic you. No, but I mean, you don't know. <laughs> Big poppy. <laughs> I don't know that there's a need for 29-year-old uh, Dominicans on the sex trafficking Maybe farm. in Europe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they need them over there. I don't know what's going on. I, don't, I mean, shout out to y'all out there that might need me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of uh, classism talk as it pertains to just, like, randomness. Like, even I've seen on Twitter, like, um, like the diamond card line at the poker, yeah. you know, like, like why, why does that exist? Um, you know, people that could afford to skip lines at six flags. Mm-hmm. I saw that as well. Now I see the poppy thing where like, you know, he's able to, uh, well, the first two are just business for sure. And I mean, I guess you could make the third argument about medical being business too, because it's still privatized. Mm. If we get nationwide Medicaid or Medicare, then, you know, maybe we'll see some of this stuff. 
it's, it's all about where, follow the money, man. Follow the money and you will find the answers, right? Right. Follow the insurance companies. You're going you're gonna to understand where your medical care is going to come from and how much it's going to cost you. Right. Uh, and the same holds true in all these other entities. It's like Disney and Six Flags do this because people are willing to pay. Right. And you don't just like take something off the menu whenever somebody's willing to pay for it. Yeah, I, I think that's good. That's a pretty interesting discussion. I definitely want to dive into that because there was uh, one of our friends that was staying in the house, definitely big on the universal basic income. Mm. And he told me he spoke to you about it and you were like really big on it. So what are your thoughts as it pertains to like giving everyone uh what is it now? A thousand dollars a month. Well, what, uh, yeah. the, the details of it, I'm not educated nearly yeah. enough to speak on. Um, and it's not even that like I'm, I'm big on it, but what I think we can all fundamentally agree on is the welfare system failed for sure. What I also think we can all fundamentally agree on is that AI is going to replace a lot of, uh, laborious jobs for sure. and what we don't agree on or what I guess the country doesn't really understand is that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and the big example used is truck drivers. That's that's the major example right. that everyone says. Right, so it's just like, you know, 20,000 truck drivers are going to lose their jobs to automated drivers, yada, yada, yada. It's like, okay, yes, you're right. In the very short term, that's a big problem. And that's where UBI would help. Um, but in the long term, it's an amazing advancement for the human race. Because as I kind of mentioned before, when we get out of Maslow's hierarchy of, of the rat race, food, shelter, water, safety, and get into the enlightenment phases of self-acceptance, social acceptance, altruism, things like that, what we're, what we're actually doing is manifesting the arts. We're pursuing our passions. We are pursuing creativity. That's what separates us from the rest of animals. Mm. We have consciousness. We, uh, and they may as well. I'm actually listening to a really great book on consciousness now. Side topic. Um, but beyond consciousness, we have this capacity to do great things, Correct. right? And lions just don't. Uh, their, their sole drive in life is to mate, eat, and reproduce or, or, or go through that cycle again. So I think that at some point, uh, wealth distribution needs to take place. I think at some point, we need to be able to transition out of the industrial revolution into the technological revolution. Right. And that, I think we're long past that point, to be yeah, quite for fair. Sure. For sure. So the idea of coal miners losing their jobs and truck drivers losing their jobs, it's like, well, we can't preserve that. The idea of like leaning into the idea that we can we can stop the growth is madness. Like the fact that Trump got re or got elected on bringing steel worker jobs back is maddening to me. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it's because people feel a, a sadness when they see what's happened in you know Western Pennsylvania, Michigan, yeah. you know, and it's just like it sucks, man. It doesn't like, though. Pittsburgh, I understand. Pittsburgh is the absolute prime example of of how advancement is going to benefit us in the long term. Pittsburgh was a disgusting, rundown steel city in the '70s that literally had like soot on yeah. all the buildings. You could run your finger down it, and it would come back black. That's crazy. I mean, it was disgusting, right? We were the we were the center of the industrial, uh, not revolution, but the industrial center of the the, the nation, right? Yeah. We transitioned out of that as a city. And now it's one of the cleanest, most technologically advanced cities in the States. Yeah. Like they call it uh, baby Silicon Valley. Right. It's, it's, Google has headquarters there. Amazon has headquarters there. Uber has headquarters there. Like it's advancing heavily and it's large in part to CMU and the robotics department. 
um, as well as like the CME being signs. Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, for those of you who are fans, uh, they developed Liberatus and uh, I can't remember the Colotico. Colotico. Yeah. Uh, so which Liberatus? Uh, that was the second version, right? That was the second. yeah. Is currently being utilized by the government, I believe, now in solving war games. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was the entire development. That that was the whole reason. People think that like they were trying to solve poker. That wasn't the case at all. They don't care. No, this was this was trying to create a machine that was so good at artificial intelligence and learning that it could actually take strategic uh, calculations into other problematic areas in in the real world, I guess. Um, but yeah, like coal jobs aren't coming back to Pittsburgh. Steel jobs are not coming back to Pittsburgh. But Google has a headquarters there now. Right. That's huge. For sure. You know, there's an influx of people who are coming there to study computer science and, and other technological industries. And it's like, that's the next wave. And everybody needs to get on board or else be left behind. And if you're one of the... the I think that's what people are afraid of. Like, yeah. the people that are being left behind. Right. You know, in Michigan, no job. And the same thing in Western PA. Pittsburgh is an old city. Yeah. Right? It's an old ethnic city where most of them are either a byproduct of a family who came over from somewhere else and busted their ass at a deli, at a, at a steel job, at a coal job, or their second generation. Right. So the argument is always still the same in terms of, like, do you now increase the tax on these companies that are very successful? Like, because I look at it in terms of, like, I, like, you know, we own this company, and it's like, if we were to do so well, like, is it fair to like now overtax us, you know, because well, we're doing so well. And that's kind of always the, the rift in this argument of like, you're taxing Amazon more, you're taxing Apple more. And of course they're like very well, well done, but say so for example, in some events, software-wide becomes massive. Is it fair to tax this company because of just how well they've done? And that um, seems like the argument. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 two different debates, right? One's an ethical debate, and the right. other one's a uh, an economic debate. Mm -hmm. But what needs to be acknowledged is that, in large part, these corporations aren't being taxed at all. Right. So, yeah. uh, to to have these corporations be taxed less than the general public seems insane. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where things need to change. Yeah. Right, and I think that it is human nature to want to strive towards uh, the greatest achievement conceivable for each individual, right? So effectively what I'm saying is I don't think there being some penalty in, in the form of tax would prevent people from, like I don't think Bezos just doesn't develop Amazon if he's being taxed at a high rate. Now I'm not advocating for the death of capitalism. Mm -hmm. I'm not advocating that like it starts being a 70% rate. Uh, what I am saying though is that what needs to be taken into the equation is the fact that money breeds money. And the biggest reason why the, the, the financial gap exists isn't because uh, of unfair advantages necessarily in the system itself, but it's just, well, I mean, sort of is. That's part of, yeah. But, but the big thing is just the suppression of how difficult it is to break through, right? right. So the glass ceiling that's placed upon the middle class and below keeps them middle class and below. And what I mean by that is they're being taxed fully, right? They don't right. get tax breaks in anything that they do. So it becomes very difficult to make their money work for them. Correct. What we have to recognize is that as these corporations build, they have a lot of liquidity available to them. And that liquidity is then invested elsewhere. 
which now brings in a ton of passive income. And yeah, there's job creation and there's a lot of other things and the money gets dispersed in, in some way, but not really in a, uh, in a holistic way. These people who own these corporations or heads of them or whatever the case may be are just rich beyond their wildest dreams to a, a degree in which they can never spend. Right. And I'm all for that. I don't care. I just don't want to trust that the next billionaire that arises is going to be forgiving like Gates was and Warren Buffett, where they're ultimately going to give back 95% of their uh, earnings over their lifetime. Right, right. Like, you, you just can't trust that, right? No, and, and that does, doesn't happen that often. Like, right. We've only seen, we didn't see the Rockefellers or anything do right. that. Right, and, and, and that's, I guess, what I'm alluding to is that if you're increasing tax as you increase financial gain, I think that that's okay because they're also able to increase their wealth exponentially by by having that money anyway. Makes sense. Well, you heard it here first. Solve for Y 2020. I'm we out here. I'm out. We out here. We're going to develop new cities. Las Vegas, the new Silicon Valley. That's not going to happen. This is where it starts. The Solve for Y headquarters is the new Google. Okay. I could, I could get behind that. I'm, I'm out for politics, though. Okay. Leave it the polk. Okay.